Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 12. Matthew 23, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to His disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do, for they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Father, we thank You for these words. We thank You for Jesus again. We thank You, Lord, that we have everything He said that we need to hear recorded for us in Your Word. God, we thank You that we can hear uh, these words He spoke to His disciples in the crowds, the Pharisees and scribes overhearing. Father, we ask that You would be with us now as we study these words in more depth. We pray, Lord God, that You would convict us of sin, that You would encourage us, Lord, that You would remind us that we have one Father in heaven, that we are Your children, that we come to You this morning as Your children, seeking to learn uh, from what You, Father, have to teach us. We pray, God, You would give us attentive ears. We pray that Your Spirit would be at work and that we would hear from You that we would be changed forever, that we would be made more humble, more loving, that we would be equipped for service to our King and service to our neighbor. So God, be with us and help us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Last Sunday, after so many verbal attacks and tests from the Jewish religious leaders... We saw Jesus go on the offensive. He asked the Pharisees a question concerning the deep reality of who He really is. And we saw last week that Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son of God. And no one could answer Him. And after this, no one dared to ask Him any more questions. We saw last week Jesus fully and finally won this confrontation battle with the Jewish religious leaders once and for all. All He does is win. And the thrust, the point, uh, uh, the, the, the main takeaway from last week was this, by the mercy of God, trust, obey, and delight in Jesus Christ, the Son of David, as your Lord and your God. 
Today and throughout Matthew chapter 23, we see Jesus continue to go on the offensive and show the sin, the hypocrisy, the pride, and the wickedness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And as we'll see in the coming weeks, if you remember in Matthew chapter 5, we began with many blesseds in the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall inherit the earth, and so on and so on and so on. Well, here, in some of Jesus' last public teaching, we don't see blesseds, but we see woe, 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 which is the opposite of the blesseds in Matthew chapter 5. And uh, these verses today are sort of an introduction to those woe, those, those, those curses that Jesus pronounces upon these false teachers. And today, the main point is this, in view of God's mercy, humble yourselves, flee hypocrisy, follow Jesus, and you will have great reward. So in these verses, Jesus condemns the Pharisees, and I, I want to encourage us that, that we want to we examine our own hearts and lives and thoughts and see where is Pharisee lurking in me? And we want God to root it out and set us free and make us more like Jesus. So point number one, Jesus commands His followers to obey the law, the lawful commands that the scribes and the Pharisees teach them. Jesus commands His followers to obey the lawful commands the scribes and Pharisees teach them. Look again at verses 1 through 3. Then Jesus said to the crowds... So he's addressing crowds, these people who are coming to hear him, and to his disciples. The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so practice and observe whatever they tell you. Well, what is is Moses' seat? This is a way of speaking of Moses' authority, or the Mosaic law, the Old Testament law, the Torah uh, some believe, and, and there have been, been findings of this archaeologically, that there was a chair in the synagogues uh, where the law was taught. And so some believe Jesus is referring to this chair where uh, the, 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 the teachers would sit down, unlike us, y'all sit and I stand. Back then, uh, they, they sat and y'all stood, or maybe, maybe everybody sat. Uh, but but uh, the, the teaching of the law would take place in this seat. So Moses' seat is, is basically referring to the authority of the law of God. And these scribes, the, who were the experts in the law, and the Pharisees, Pharisee meaning separatist or those who are specific, uh, uh, these, as we've seen throughout Matthew's gospel, are, are the religious leaders, and they sat on Moses' seat and taught from the law of God. Now, if you have a New American Standard Version, it reads this way, the scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. And many commentators argue that uh, these Scribes and Pharisees took authority that they were not given by God and misused and abused it. They set themselves there. They set themselves up as authorities and leaders. Sort of like uh, if you go online, you can, you can buy ordination. 
uh, Ted tells me about these pastors where you got to pay 25 bucks to get into the service or you got to pay 100 bucks and you can be a deacon or an elder. That it's for sale. They set themselves up as these authorities. Like Jeremiah 14, 14 says, And the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit from their own minds. And so these scribes and Pharisees are false teachers. They've set themselves up as an authority uh, and sit in Moses' seat and teach. And Jesus did warn His disciples about the teaching of the scribes and Pharisees. In places like Matthew 16, 6, Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And of course, then the disciples are wondering, What is He talking about bread? No, He's not talking about bread. He's talking about the teaching. Beware of the teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees. And yet some have found that hard to reconcile. Jesus all over the place, even in Matthew 23, warns about the teaching of the scribes and Pharisees. And yet He says, Whatever they teach, do it. What's going on here? That's led some uh, preachers and scholars to say Jesus is being ironic here. He's using irony, like sort of tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, do everything they say. Yeah, right. Some interpret it this way. I actually don't think that that's the best way to view it. Um, I, I think that Jesus here is commanding His followers to respect the position of the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus teaches His followers to honor authority. Uh, Children, Jesus teaches you to honor and obey your parents. We've just seen Jesus commanded, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's. The very Caesar, the very Roman law who would would, uh, kill uh, Christ Himself. Pay the taxes uh, that are going to pay the soldiers that hang me on the cross. Submit to governing authorities, the Bible teaches. And the scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so they should be honored in a sense. So what is Jesus commanding His followers to do? He's commanding His followers to obey whatever the scribes and Pharisees command as long as it is in harmony with God's law. Moses' seat. So they sit in Moses' seat. I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. The law of God is good. As long as they're teaching what Moses teaches according to the law of God, then you should obey it and do what it says because they're teaching the law of God. That's what Jesus is saying. As long as they are teaching what is in accord with the law of God, you should obey them and listen to them. But the problem is, they don't do what they say. They, they, They preach the law of Moses... And they add a bunch of other junk to it. But they don't even do what the law of Moses says. And so point number two, Jesus commands His followers not to do what the scribes and Pharisees do. Look at the second part of verse 3. So He says, observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. 
They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They, this, this struck me. This is the phrase that struck me the most in my studies this week. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. These religious leaders were thought of by the people as the righteous standard in Jesus' day. You, you sort of have to work to get this because uh, many of you uh, have, been, have grown up hearing sermons about the scribes and Pharisees. You've been reading your Bibles about the scribes and Pharisees. So you in your mind think these are the bad guys. These guys are wicked. They're bad. They're evil. Bad, bad, bad scribes and Pharisees. But, but to hear it, the, the way that the people then would have heard it, the, these guys were the standard of righteousness. The scribes and Pharisees in Jesus' day were, were, were viewed by the people as they are the ones who truly follow God. They're the ones who truly know God. They're the ones who know the Scriptures. They're the ones who we should aim to be like. They're the gold standard, so to speak, when it comes to relationship with God and living for God. So this is shocking. The things Jesus said about the scribes and Pharisees would have been shocking to the people. This is like me calling out your favorite radio, TV, internet preachers and authors. The good ones. Because in your, your eyes, they're good. And they may be good. But they were good in the eyes of the people. The Pharisees were good in the eyes of the people. So I come in here and start calling out your favorite TV preachers. How are you going to take that? That might be hard for you to hear. But that's what Jesus is doing here. He's calling out those who are thought of as the standard when it comes to righteousness. And he says the scribes and Pharisees are hypocrites. They're hypocrites. They speak one way, but they live another. For they preach, but do not practice. Uh, they, they tell people to do and live a certain way, but they don't even do and live that way. The Apostle Paul, writing inspired by the Holy Spirit, if you turn to Romans chapter 2, if you turn to Romans chapter 2, you can see this. He speaks of this kind of hypocrisy. In Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 29, I'm going to read that. If you'd like to turn there in your Bibles, Romans 2, 17 through 29. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know His will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. 
For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. Y'all want to know what a Jew is? God's getting ready to tell you. But a Jew is one inwardly. That's what I tell my Hebrew Israelite friends. I am a Jew, brother. I am an Israelite. Because the Bible tells me right here what a Jew is. A Jew is one inwardly, period. A Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. God told me what a Jew is. And it's absolutely clear. A true Jew is one who's born again by the Spirit of God, who has God's law written on his heart, who knows Jesus. I'm of the tribe of Judah. I'm in Christ. That's who all Christians are. If you're born again, that's what the Bible teaches. It's about having a vital, true, living relationship with the living God by faith, by the Holy Spirit. And when you have that, you will preach and practice what you preach. You will preach and you will practice what you preach. But, but these Pharisees and scribes Jesus is addressing, they're doing exactly what Paul is warning about in Romans chapter 2. They're not Jews. They're not true Jews. They're synagogue of Satan, right? They're children of the devil, as Jesus says in John chapter 8. They're not true Jews. True Jews are born again by the Holy Spirit of God who know Christ Jesus as their Lord and Savior and who uh, speak the commandments of God and seek to live them out because they love their Father and their King. But these scribes and Pharisees, they preach, but they don't practice. Jesus goes on to say they weigh people down but don't lift anything themselves. Verse 4, they tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Not only did they not teach the law of God, but they added things to the law of God and burdened people with all these extras. I try, beloved, to make sure if I command you of anything, it's in the book. I don't just come up with stuff because I didn't like it growing up. Or I don't think it's right. Where is it in the book? Show me in the book. If it ain't condemned in the book, I better keep my mouth shut. Because I don't want to be like Pharisees and weigh you down with things God doesn't command. They tie heavy burdens, hard to bear. They have no sympathy. They have no pastoral love for the people. They, they don't care to help the people, to love the people, to see the people flourish and, and walk with God. They're, they're just out looking for sin. And they want to jump on people 
and condemn them. It makes themselves feel better. That's what self-righteous people do. We want to call out other people so we feel better about ourselves. They're like King Rehoboam. Remember, King Rehoboam uh, uh, ruled after Solomon died. And we read this amazing account in 1 Kings 12, 6-11. You might want to turn there. 1 Kings 12, 6-11, because this is a wonderful illustration of what the Pharisees and scribes were doing. 1 Kings 12, 6-11. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the old men. You always should go with the old men. Who had stood before Solomon, his father, while he was yet alive, saying, How do you advise me to answer this people? And they said to him, If you will, be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them. Then they will be your servants forever. But he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. And he said to them, What do you advise that we answer the people who have said to me, Lighten the yoke that your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, Thus shall you speak to this people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighted it for us. Thus shall you say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Young people are generally foolish. Young people are generally foolish. If you want wise counsel, go to the elders. Go to the old heads, the gray hairs, the balding people who walk with God for decades and leave that foolish uh, young bull behind. This is what the Pharisees were doing. They were weighing the people down with burdens they couldn't bear. They had no care, no love, no compassion, no sympathy for the people. But they simply wanted to bear them down with heavy yokes and burdens. Beloved, notice how Jesus is so different. Can you think of a place where Jesus said something the exact opposite of this in Matthew? Matthew chapter 11. Verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Beloved, Jesus still gives us a yoke and He does give us a burden. But, but He says it's easy and His burden is light. Beloved, Jesus bore our burden. He, he, he bore the greatest burden that we have. What, what is the greatest yoke and burden that we have? Our sin. Our sin. These Pharisees were good at, at condemning people and showing people their sin and making them feel condemned by their sin. Jesus came that there might be no condemnation. Jesus came so that we might be free from our sin and, and that we might be filled with His Spirit, that He might dwell in and with us to help us obey God's commandments. 
Friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, do you, do you realize that you have sinned against God and that your greatest burden, your greatest burden is your sin against the holy and good God? The Bible teaches that all of us bear this burden outside of Christ. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That we've all turned our own way. That we, like the Pharisees, love the praise of men. We love to be famous in men's eyes. We love the attaboy, the good job. We love being clapped and praised. We love for others to look at us and think great and high thoughts. We're proud and arrogant. We want the preeminent place, the place of honor. We love that. And that is sin. We love when others look bad and we look good. We love uh, uh, to, 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 to glory in self and look at what I've done. Even if we don't say it out loud. And this pride, this selfishness, this is sin. This is sin, and, and we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the Bible says. And God is a holy and righteous God who will not give His glory to another. And every sinner who steals His glory, God will punish in hell forever. Just like He drove Nebuchadnezzar out into the wilderness for years as a crazy man. Just as Herod came in with all his pomp and everyone was praising him like he was a god and God struck him down and he was eaten with worms. God will punish sinners in hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. But God loves sinners. God loves wicked, evil people who have rebelled against Him so much that He gave the greatest gift He could ever give. He, give. he gave His only Son. He gave His one and only Son who came into the world, Jesus Christ, the God-man. Jesus lived a perfect life. We're seeing it lived out before us in Matthew's Gospel. He never sinned. He was humble, gentle, and lowly. Always loved, always served, always obeyed the law of God. And then He died on the cross for sinners. He took God's wrath. He took God's judgment upon Himself and died and was buried. But on the third day, He rose from the dead. He conquered sin, death, and hell. And He ascended into heaven with all authority in heaven on earth. And now He rules and reigns. And He's calling all people everywhere to repent, to turn from your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, if you've not done that, we invite you today, trust in Jesus. Young people, young people, if you've not trusted Christ, today is the day of salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And when you do that, when you trust Him, all of your sins are forgiven. All your sins of pride and arrogance, all of your sins in lust and adultery and, and sexual morality, everything you've ever done that is odious in God's sight is forgiven. And Christ's righteousness is counted as yours. You receive this by faith alone. Friend, if you have not done that, I'm here. I would love to speak with you. I'll be at the back after the service. Uh, there are other Christians who would love to talk to you. We want you to receive Christ and trust Him as your Lord and Savior. These Pharisees did not receive Christ. They hated Christ. They ultimately killed Christ. 
And Jesus is condemning their lives and warning about the way that they live in our text today. And He says, they do everything to be seen by others. Look at verses 5 through 7. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long and they love the places of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. Beloved, notice they do all their deeds to be seen. We should ask ourselves as believers, why am I doing what I'm doing? Am I doing it to be seen? Am I doing it so others will say, wow, he's holy. Wow, she's holy. Why are we doing what we're doing? Do you ask that question before you do what you do? Are you doing it to be seen by others? Are you doing it for an audience of one? For the Lord Jesus Christ. These Pharisees and scribes, Jesus says, do everything to be seen by others. Beloved, this is exactly what Jesus warned against and taught against in Matthew chapter 6. You'd be helped to turn there now. Turn to Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8 and verses 16 through 18. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And then verses 16 through 18. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Beloved, Jesus instructs us there about how we should seek to live the Christian life. And it's the exact opposite of the way that these Pharisees are doing everything they do that they might be seen by others. They're, they're so small, so, so gripped by sin that all they, all they can care about is having other people praise them. 
and they give up the reward that God gives. Beloved, we should avoid uh, uh, two extremes. Avoid being a monk and totally leaving the world and also avoid blowing the trumpets for the praise of men. What Jesus' words here do not mean, they don't mean you have to be a monk and leave the world and be overly paralyzed by the thought of others seeing your good deeds. Jesus expects the world to see your good deeds. For He said in Matthew 5, 14-16, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so we are the light of the world. We're to shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hiding under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine. And so there's a sense in which we want people to see our good deeds. Why? To give glory to our Father in heaven. That's the difference. We don't want people to see our good deeds to say, you're so great, you're so wonderful. We want people to see our good deeds that they might give glory to our Father who is in heaven. So what what do Jesus' words mean here? He's challenging His disciples in Matthew chapter 6 and in Matthew 23 to do what they do with the right heart attitude and motive. Do good deeds, not to be seen by others, but for the glory of God and for the good of others. We will miss out on the best, greatest, longest lasting, most satisfying rewards if we do our good works to be seen by men. You don't want to miss out on that. You don't want to miss out on the best, greatest, longest lasting, most satisfying rewards by doing your good deeds to be seen by men. We'll miss out on our Father's rewards if we do that. We want to do them to glorify our Father. And friend, this all comes down to having a relationship with our Father. These Pharisees did not have a relationship with the Father in heaven through Jesus the Son. And that makes all the difference for motive for why we do what we do. I love the way Sinclair Ferguson says it. In the context of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus directs us to an altogether different reason for the spiritual hypocrisy He sees in the Pharisees. Notice that in Matthew 6, 1-18, God is called Father on ten different occasions. Throughout this section of the sermon, our Lord hints that the real trouble with the heart of the hypocrite is that he does not know God as his heavenly Father. He is insecure before God and therefore seeks security in what his fellow men think about him. He is unreal in his activities before men because he has no real relationship with God. The more you read the gospel narratives, the more you will become convinced that this was a chief reason for Jesus' controversy with the Pharisees. He was not against disciplines in the Christian life. The reason He reserved His strongest condemnations for Pharisees was because they distorted the character of His Father and turned Him into a tyrant, a slave driver who did nothing but place restrictive burdens on His people. By distorting the image of God, they shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. They did not know God as Father at all. And they hated the thought that He should show mercy to sinners who had broken His law. And this is why they lived the way they lived. 
because they had no relationship, no true, living, vital relationship with God, the Father. And so they did things. They, they had to get their satisfaction other ways. They did not have a satisfaction in God, so they had to get their satisfaction from men thinking that they're holy. And so they have broad phylacteries and long fringes, we're told. Because they did everything to be seen by men. What are, what are phylacteries? Michael Wilkins comments, they're small cubed shapes like boxes, like leather boxes containing scripture passages written on parchment. They were worn on the left arm and, and forehead as a literal way to obey the admonition of Deuteronomy 11.18, which says, You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And we take the Bible literally, don't we? So let's make some boxes and start doing this, because we take the Bible literally. Well, in the life of Israel, they didn't read the Bible so wrongly and woodenly at first and understood that these were metaphors. That we should have God's Word in our heart. That we should know it, live it, love it, obey it, treasure it, speak it, sing it. And they understood Deuteronomy eleven eighteen 18 uh, is, is a metaphor. But later, later on, they begin to come up with all these binding uh, commandments. And so uh, they wanted to really be holy, and so they, they, in their mind, and so they made these phylacteries and they would wear them as part of their garments. And they made theirs broad, Jesus says, because they wanted everybody to notice. <laughs> He's got a real big old box on his head. He must be really holy. They wanted everybody to know how holy they were. And they had these fringes on their robes. Again, Michael Wilkins writes, tassels with a blue cord that were attached to the four corners of a man's garment, reminding the people to obey God's commands and to be holy. And this is talked about in Numbers 15, 37 through 40. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner, and it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them, not to follow after your own heart, and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. So you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. Jesus had these tassels on His garment. It's not wrong to have these tassels, but they made them extra long. Again, they wanted everybody to notice. Oh, His tassels, look at those tassels. He's got them big old tassels that take up the whole back of the, uh, the sanctuary and come dragging in the door. Can you imagine somebody coming in and their robe, they're up here and their robe is still out the door dragging in. Whoa, he must be really holy because he's got 50 foot long tassels. So they would, they would make these tassels extra big uh, uh, because they wanted people to notice. They wanted people to see how holy they were and how godly they were. And how committed they were to taking the Bible literally and following the Bible. 
Jesus says they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues. They wanted the best seat in the house. They, they wanted everybody to know that they're honored people, respected people. Jesus warned about this in Luke 14, 7 through 11. You might want to turn there. Luke 14, verses 7 through 11. Now, he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. It reminds me of a story of William Carey. I've told you before, uh, he was, I can't remember if it was William Carey or Adoniram Judson. Who's, who's the shoe sell? Carey, William Carey was a shoe repairman, and he uh, was at this dinner with these high society people, and one of the high society people wanted to put him down, and so he asked out loud in front of all the dinner guests, hey, Mr. Carey, aren't you a, a shoemaker? And he, and he meant it to, to humble this and shame Carey. How did Carey respond? Ah, oh, no, sir. I, I am not so high as to be a shoe maker. I'm simply a shoe repairman. You see, he went even lower. Beloved, that is beautiful in God's eyes. God loves that. He loves the humble. You heard Brother Bob read uh, Isaiah 57, 15, that God is high and lifted up. He's exalted and He dwells with those who are humble and contrite in heart. But these Pharisees love the place of honor. They love the best seats in the house. And Jesus is warning us, don't be like that. Be like William Carey. Be humble before your God. Jesus tells us they love being greeted at the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. Uh, uh, they love the titles. Beloved, you don't want somebody to be your pastor who wants to be a pastor so he can be called pastor. You, you don't want somebody at this church to be an elder because they want to be called elder. You don't want somebody to be a deacon at this church because they long for that title, deacon. Hey, Mr. So-and-so. No, no, no. It's deacon now, buddy. <laughs> Get that right. Okay? Me, you. Me, you. Me, you. See? See the difference? Me, you. Okay? Those kind of people, you don't want to be deacons, pastors, or elders. Sometimes I joke with people like Anthony Butler, call me Reverend Dr. Bishop, Pastor, Elder, Apostle, Evangelist Randall. <laughs> That's a joke. If I ever started getting serious about that, my elders need to slap me upside the face. 
Jesus is warning here, it's not about titles. It's not about titles. And these, these Pharisees, they love that. They love the titles. They love being called by these titles, Rabbi. And, and, and Jesus warns in our, in our passage, uh, don't you be called Rabbi. He's actually warning His, his own uh, disciples here. Uh, uh, where... Where's my text here? I've lost my text. Yes. Um, uh, it, in, this, in this verse, it, he's saying they love the, 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 the best seats in synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. They, they love that. Uh, they, they love that. And in, in, it, we, 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 we know that's wrong. Like we, we know not to act like that. If we've been Christians for any length of time, we know these kind of titles and, and title loving is wrong, but we, we want to go deeper and ask what's going on in our hearts. And in all of these warnings that, that Jesus gave the Pharisees and all these things, we can know the right truth about these matters and still desire the wrong things in our hearts. We can, we can laugh and say, no, no, no. But in our hearts, we do love to be called those things. We do love the position. And, and as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we want to get at the heart of things and say, Lord, I feel this in my heart that I love this. Kill it, Lord. Kill it in my heart so that I, I don't love this in my heart. I'm not, I'm not saying it. I'm, I'm, I'm being, I said what William Carey said. But Lord, in my heart, I wanted to get up and slap that man. We, we want it in our hearts. Humility in our hearts. Not just in our words and actions, but in our hearts. We, we can still subtly find our identity, our worth, our value in being a pastor. Or in a position. Or a job. Or being a husband. Or being a wife. Or being this or being that and, and we find our identity in that instead of in Christ. And we have to be aware of that. So beloved, in view of God's mercy, humble yourselves. Flee this kind of hypocrisy that Jesus warns. Follow Jesus and you will have great reward. Point number three, Jesus commands His followers how to live the humble life that is exalted by God. Jesus commands His followers how to live the humble life that is exalted by God. Look at verses 8 through 12. But you are not to be called rabbi. That's the verse I was looking for earlier. <laughs> but you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So Jesus says here, you, they love that, but you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. Now, there are some who take the Bible literally here, and so they stop calling their father, father. I don't believe that's what Jesus is saying here. So again, we have to understand the Bible, not literally, but as Jesus intended it to be understood. <laughs> we have to understand the Bible the way the writers intended it to be understood. 
And we learn that by looking at other places in Scripture and letting that inform us. And so again, I, I liked how Michael Wilkins put this. Jesus does not literally forbid use of titles, teacher, doctor, or father, for all time in all circumstances. But He prohibits His disciples from using these terms in the way the Pharisees use them in a spirit that wrongly exalted leaders and reinforced human pride. Now, why, why would he say that? Because there are other places in the Bible where God's Holy Spirit inspired the use of the word teacher. And where Paul, the apostle, inspired by the Holy Spirit, calls the, 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 the Christians in Corinth, I am a father to you. And the Bible does not contradict itself. So we have to read the Bible the way the Bible was intended to be read. And we do that best by knowing all the Bible. Another incentive to read the whole Bible uh, regularly. And so Jesus is prohibiting the use of these titles the way the Pharisees were using them as a status symbol in their pride, in their arrogance to get glory for themselves and make others feel low. We're not to use titles that way. Notice, beloved uh, brothers and sisters, Jesus says we're all brothers. At some point in my life here at this church, I began to try to call y'all brother and sister so-and-so. And for some people, that's like, what's going on? Are we going Catholic now? Are we going, are we going way down south to Jimbo Baptist Church and uh, brother, sister this? No, I did that because it's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. And it's a reminder when I call you Brother Bob, Brother Isaac, Brother Michael, that we're family. We are family, sister. Phyllis, sister. Heidi, sister. You're my sister. My sister in Christ. My brother in Christ. And Jesus says here, He says it here, we are all brothers. We're all brothers. This speaks to the priesthood of all believers. There, there's not a hierarchy in the Christian faith. We're all royal, we're all a royal priesthood, Peter wrote. A holy nation. This speaks to the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. One of my professors in seminary, J.V. Fesco, defines that this way. The doctrine of the priesthood of all believers states that all believers in Christ share in His priestly status. Therefore, there is no special class of people who mediate the knowledge, presence, and forgiveness of Christ to the rest of the believers. And all believers have the right and authority to read, interpret, and apply the teachings of Scripture. It's Colossians 3.11. Here... In the new covenant people of God is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. We're all brothers. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ and we're not in any way to use titles to try to demean one another or think that we're on some higher spiritual plane than someone else. That must never happen. Jesus said you're to call no man father on earth, for you have one father who's in heaven. 
As we've seen in the context of Matthew 23, Jesus is talking about false teachers. False teachers who wrongly uh, twist the Word of God and are hypocrites who preach but don't practice what they preach. And He forbids us calling someone Father on earth. John MacArthur writes about this. Here Jesus condemns pride and pretense, not titles per se. Paul repeatedly speaks of leaders in the church and even refers to himself as the Corinthians' father. 1 Corinthians 4.15 Obviously, this does not forbid the showing of respect either. Christ is merely forbidding the use of such names as spiritual titles or in an ostentatious sense that accords undue spiritual authority to a human being as if he were the source of truth rather than God. And many believe the background of this comes from Malachi 2, 7-10, through 10, where God warned the people of the exact same thing. Malachi 2, 7-10, through 10, For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? I mean, that's helpful because he uses the term Father and yet calls them out for the way they're using the term Father. D.A. Carson comments, like the priests of Malachi's day whose teaching caused many to stumble, so the revered Jewish fathers have so misinterpreted Scripture that they must not be called fathers. There is but one Father, God. Friend, I preached a whole sermon from this, and I went into much more detail on why Roman... Catholicism is wrong for having a pope. Do you know what pope means? Pope is the Latin word for father. Papa. I would say this text applies to the wrong way in which uh, people call the pope the pope. I don't call him the pope. I call him Mr. Ratzinger or Mr. whatever his name is before they changed it. Mr. So-and-so. We don't call false teachers like that father. This is what Jesus is warning about. But beloved, notice this. Just be encouraged. Jesus says you have one father. God is your father. If you're here this morning, you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, God is your father. God is your father. You You have been brought into God's family both by adoption and by birth. Isn't that amazing? Birth and adoption. Birth and adoption. You're born again. Jesus said you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again. You're brought into being a child of God by being born again to a living hope. And you're adopted. You're adopted. We're going to memorize that in Romans chapter 8. We call Him Abba, Father. He's your Father. He's a good, good Father. And as Sinclair Ferguson told us, when you know Him as Father and are secure in His love, 
you won't be seeking the approval of men in all these ways the Pharisees do. Jesus goes on, you should not be called instructors for you have one instructor, the Christ. Again, here, Craig Blomberg here, people are properly called teachers in Acts 13.1 and 1 Timothy 2.7 and Hebrews 5.12. Paul will even refer to a spiritual gift that enables some people to be so identified in Ephesians 4.11 and 1 Corinthians 12.28-29 and James 3.1. Such titles are not to be used. So in other words, he's saying they're used in the New Testament, but they're not to be used to confer privilege or status. Again, the point is Jesus is the chief instructor. All glory and honor belongs to Him. All our teaching should be from Him and to Him and through Him and for Him. Not for self. And these Pharisees were using these titles for self, self-righteousness and self-glory. And God hates that. Jesus says, the greatest among you shall be called your servant. The greatest among you shall be your servant. The greatest among you shall be your servant. He taught us this in Matthew 20, 25-28. You know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. And so we're to be each other's slaves. We're to serve one another. We're to care for one another. And uh, uh, honor one another in that way. Jesus says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Beloved, God hates pride. He hates it. And He will humble His people. May we humble ourselves first. 1 Peter 5, 5, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This sheet I mentioned was very convicting for me about my own pride. The heart God revives. It's front and back. It gives a list of proud people and a list of broken people. It's a wonderful way to think and, and do an inventory in your own heart and life to pray through, to, to ask God to make you a more humble person. I'll just name a few. They're on the back table on the far right corner. You can get them. Proud people focus on the failures of others. Broken people are overwhelmed with a sense of their own spiritual need. Proud people have a critical, fault-finding spirit. Look at everyone else's faults with a microscope, but their own with a telescope. Broken people are compassionate. They are forgiving, and they can forgive much because they know how much they've been forgiven. Proud people are self-righteous and look down on others. Humble people esteem all others better than themselves. Proud people have an indifferent self, have an independent, self-sufficient spirit. Broken people have a dependent spirit, recognize their need for others. Proud people have to prove they are right. Humble people, broken people, are willing to yield the right to be right. Proud people claim rights and have a demanding spirit. Broken people yield their rights and have a meek spirit. Proud people are self-protective of their time, their rights, and their reputation. Broken people are self-denying. And it goes on and on and on. And I love the last one. 
Proud people don't think they need revival and don't think they need this list. Broken people continually sense their need of a refreshing encounter with God and a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit and realize that they, they need uh, gauges like this to see their sin and repent and come to Christ. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but Jesus also says whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And beloved, isn't this what our Savior did as, as our greatest example to save us from our sins so that we could humble ourselves like He did? Philippians 2, 5-11 Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking the form of a slave being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Beloved, if you humble yourself and follow Jesus, you will be exalted. You will be glorified. Heaven will be amazing. And that's what we aim for as followers of Jesus. We want a true and vital living relationship with God so that we are able to humble ourselves under His mighty hand and live for His glory. This is not what the Pharisees did. They did the exact opposite. Hear Martin Lloyd-Jones on this. The supreme matter in this life and world for all of us is to realize our relationship to God. I suggest that the greatest cause of all our failures is that we constantly forget our relationship to God. Our Lord puts it like this. We should realize that our supreme object in life should be to please God, to please Him only, and to please Him always in everything. If that is our aim, we cannot go wrong. Here, of course, we see the outstanding characteristic of the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is there anything that stands out more clearly in His life? He lived entirely for God. He even said that the words that He spoke were not of Himself and that the works He did were the works which the Father had given Him to do. His whole life was given to glorify God. He never thought of Himself. He did nothing for Himself. He did not out obtrude Himself. What we are told of Him is this, a bruised reed shall He not break and a smoking flax shall He not quench. He did not raise His voice aloft. In a sense, He seems to be there unseen and trying to hide Himself. We are told about Him that He could not be hid, but He seemed to be trying always to do this. There was a complete absence of ostentation. He lived entirely and always and only for the glory of God. He said constantly in various ways, I seek not my own honor, but the honor of Him who has sent me. And He put it negatively in this way, How can ye believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? That is your trouble. He says in effect, 
You are so concerned about man. If only you had a single eye to the glory and honor of God, then all would be well. Beloved, that's a great prayer for us that we would not seek the honor of men, but seek the honor of God alone. And we often fail in that, don't we? So we must look unto Jesus. Not only as example, but as our Savior. Beloved, Jesus not only sat on Moses' seat, but He sat on Moses' seat like no one ever has before. And He not only sat on Moses' seat, but He created Moses and His seat and gave the Mosaic Law and is the only one who obeyed that law perfectly without sin. Jesus is the only teacher who ever lived for whom we are to practice, who, who, who he, 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 he practiced and observed everything He told us. And He did it perfectly without sin. And we are to do what He did because He lived it out perfectly without sin. The scribes and Pharisees tied up the people with heavy burdens, but Jesus bore our greatest burden, our sin and the wrath of God when He died for us on that cross. And by His Spirit, He empowers us to obey Him so His commandments are not burdensome. The scribes and Pharisees wore their phylacteries and fringes long, but Jesus is the Word, inspired the Word, and obeyed the Word. And His fringes were stripped off of Him, and He died for sinners naked on that cross. Jesus was not greeted, but condemned and ridiculed and mocked when He suffered on that cross. Jesus is the rabbi of rabbis and the instructor of all instructors. In Isaiah 9-6, He's called the everlasting Father because like a father, He provides, protects, pursues, loves, and cares for us, His children, like no one else. Jesus is the greatest among us. And He is the servant of all servants who humbled Himself like no one else when He died on that cross. But God raised Him from the dead and highly exalted Him and gave Him that name that is above every name. That the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ Jesus is perfect, the humble rabbi, the instructor and teacher who came to defy false teachers and hypocrites, all who are sly. He created Moses, spoke God's word lifted high. He's the truth and the way in our every supply. He came to fulfill God's word and apply. He suffered God's wrath on that cross. He would die. My God, my God, you've forsaken me. Why? That was his darkest, deserted death cry. But then he arose. Death's dead. It will die. By faith alone we are just and comply. With the Spirit of Christ, He shall vivify. So we do our good deeds for His beautiful eye. We humble ourselves to Him alone glorify. For we know Christ alone can truly satisfy. So beloved, in view of God's mercy, humble yourselves. Flee hypocrisy. Follow Jesus and you will have great reward. Father, we pray that we would do this in view of Your mercy, in view of Your great mercy You've shown us 
dying for us and rising for us and, 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 and ascending on high for us and interceding for us and always being there for us in view of your great mercy that you saved proud, arrogant sinners just like these Pharisees who love the praise of men. Lord, you've been merciful to us, the sinner. We thank you, God, for your mercy. And we pray, oh God, that you would show us our pride. Lord, show us ways in which we're still proud and and arrogant and self-sufficient and critical and quick to look down on others and quick to be angry. Lord, show us our sin. Show us our pride. Show us our selfishness. Lord, show us in our lives if there's any way that we're hypocrites, where we, we say one thing with our, our mouths and act one way in public, but in private, it's a whole different story, maybe even an opposite story. Lord, show us our hypocrisy. Bring it to the light that we might be healed. Lord, help us follow you. Help us to have a true and vital and living relationship with you, a love relationship with you, Father, as our Heavenly Father. And help us know that we'll have great reward. Lord, you know what needs to happen in our lives. And so please work in us and make us all that you want us to be. Show us that Phariseeism still alive in our hearts and minds and lives and crush it. And help us follow Christ. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.